You're listening to the Tour Station Western League podcast with Ian Knockholz and Tom Hiscott. Welcome, listeners, to episode 42, the season finale of this year's Tool Station Western League podcast. Uh, I am delighted to be joined on the line by Tom Hiscock, the editor of the Tool Station Western League Bulletin. Tom, uh, lovely as always to speak to you. At this stage of the season, of course, we use the term on the beach. And <laughs> are you on the beach? <laughs> Not quite yet. I mean, it's been quite, yeah, I've heard it quite a lot at the end of the sort of the football league season and stuff. So, yeah, that's quite. Quite funny you say that, but no, not not quite. I mean, I think I've got a little bit of time off soon. But um, in terms of football, yes, I am on the beach. We've we're, we're done, aren't we? A couple of final bulletin was was posted on the weekend with a, a sort of uh, playoff and and Les Phillips wrap up and whatnot. Uh, and uh, yes, already looking forward to next season. I think. <laughs> well, I'm certainly looking forward to next season. But you and I have got some very important. We've got a very important job to do uh, with this final episode of this season's Tool Station Western League podcast. So we can't afford to be on the beach. We are going to be, of course, reviewing your excellent bulletin. So that was, you know, quite rightly, you can you can you can put your feet up and your pen down. More importantly, um, having um, or your keyboard down. Uh, having having produced your uh, your last excellent bulletin, and of course we will conclude um, by having a little chat about that. But um, yeah, what a what an episode of the Westernly podcast we have got for you. We are going out with a bang. There's no end of season jolly. There is no pre-season atmosphere about this. This is a full-on, full-blooded, excellent episode of the Tool Station Western League podcast. I'm very, very pleased to be producing. Uh, on this week's episode, we hear from John Paul, the chairman of the Western League, and Phil Hiscox making his Western League debut. Of course, Phil is the secretary of the Southwest Peninsula League. And um, John and Phil came together to talk to me about Project Southwest and, of course, those historic plans um, to merge uh, the two leagues and create something new and, I'm sure, very special um, going forward. But anyway, I'm not going to steal any of their thunder. That's what John and Phil are here to talk to you about. As Tom alluded to, we will, of course, be talking about the Les Phillips um, Cup final. And uh, we will be hearing from the owner and CEO of Bridgewater United, that is Adam Murray. Now, of course, many people will remember Adam as the man who saved Bournemouth from extinction and, of course, the man who brought Eddie Howe to the club. Now, um, we don't need to talk about that because that's got absolutely nothing to do with the tour station Western League. But what is interesting is Adam's plans looking forward for Bridgewater United. So I was really pleased to get a chance to speak to him. But we are going to kick off this week's episode by looking at Project Southwest and that um, that historic announcement that was made a few weeks ago the, with, the, with the Western League and the um, Southwest Peninsula League coming together to talk about a project to help all of our clubs. Now, I'm not going to get into the details of that because that's what John and Phil are here to do. So all I will say is I will introduce the interview by saying I started off by talking to John and asking him just to give us a general overview of what Project Southwest is all about. We're going to start of 2021, um, obviously with the introduction of the restructuring process. Needless to say that it, it caused a considerable amount of angst, uh, in particular um, at our end of the footprint, 
was being supportive in principle, and I, I, I use the term we uh, because obviously you know, both Phil and myself got together pretty quickly, really. And with the footprint being expanded, there was always potentially going to be major implications with travel distances in particular. It was decided by both parties, both leagues, that we could um, attempt to improve the situation by actually working together, or we could actually throw that whole lot back to the FA and quite simply say, you better reconsider what, you know, where you're taking this, because in our opinion, it's totally unworkable. We decided in the latter, we got together and, and put together the initial thoughts of where we felt it should be going. And this obviously led towards our considered opinion that an amalgamation of the two leagues primarily would give us far more influence in being able to put this project forward. We were very satisfied with the progress that had been made in the in initial stages because we were both very much um, of the same views. We appreciated what the implications were with the clubs. And our view was that regionalisation was going to be the right way forward. And that would obviously take care of the travel distances. This would take the shape of two regionalised step fives and three step sixes. And we felt that, that there were sufficient clubs to be able to make that work. It would be a process of building it over a number of years. But what was most important in our view was that it, it, you could take it to deepest Cornwall um, and, and everybody would be given the same opportunities to come forward. And also, to be fair, as part of the pyramid, to, to create the promotion and relegation situation rather than having the lateral move sitting over ahead of everybody year after year. We're going to get into the detail a bit later in the interview, but Phil, um, the announcement came initially from the FA um, a few weeks ago um, that this was on the table, but of course the idea didn't happen overnight, did it? So can you tell us the process that you've been going through to, um, um, you know, to get to this stage? Yeah, certainly. I mean, from our point of view, we were aware of the pressures from years when clubs weren't going up from Cornwall and the complaints we often got from the Western, sorry, from the FA, that clubs weren't being promoted. And because some clubs exercised their option when before it was mandatory. In all good faith, the idea of promoting five clubs on block last season was to give those clubs some sense of uniformity that there wasn't just like an isolated one or two so i'm not going to criticize the fa for that idea but of course what it immediately did and i don't think uh, the fa had thought it through is it meant mass lateral movements at the other end and the clubs that didn't laterally move facing not one or two trips to deepest cornwall but but four or five at that point, it was sensible for me and John to have a discussion, and I was aware that it would be a good idea for us to sit around. And the very first meeting was at a, a sort of pub near the M5, just as a, as a working lunch, really, to see where we all thought things would go. Uh, that evolved over time, uh, both in terms of the number of meetings and the number of people that were involved in those meetings. And then about last autumn, it was felt that the idea couldn't really go any further without speaking to the FA. So they were invited down to a meeting 
uh, and we talk things through with them. And again, this is an organic process where some of the ideas have evolved, some of the, the numbers, the boundaries, some of how we're going to achieve this have been changed and will probably still continue to be changed. But we, that allowed us to write a proposal document, which is the basis of the, the document that's now out in public circulation. It, it's been edited and changed since, but that's the basis of it. Um, and then since then, we've had other meetings online and in person with the FA. Um, and always in the back of our minds aware that whatever we do has to be for the benefit of clubs in the Southwest. Uh, it's not really about the Western League or the Southwest Peninsula League. It's not about myself or John. It's about providing opportunities that are uniform across the Southwest. Now, of course, the fact that the proposal is now in the public domain has meant that we've already started to have um, discussions and, and debate. Um, and inevitably, there are some you know, questions and some issues that have sort of have come up. So I'd like to take this opportunity to run through a few of those. And I'm going to start with you, John, because there is a perception amongst some people that players in the north, uh, as we're calling it, um, around the sort of the Bristol area, that players and teams up there don't want to travel. They don't want to travel down into um, into Devon and Cornwall. I mean, is that fair? And is that part of the rationale behind um, this uh, this new structure? I think it's fair as we speak, but history says that it's, it wouldn't be fair as a generalisation simply because if you look at history and you look at the clubs that have come out of Devon and Cornwall, and this was one of the major, well, one of the big elements of the conversation we had, and to Phil's credit, whilst I was coming from the angle that clubs at this end we're obviously faced with sort of increases in cost of travel overnight. Certainly there were players that had indicated, for instance, that they were not up for travelling down into Cornwall. And certainly that, that created major concerns over fixture compilation midweek and such like. So everybody started to look at the logic of it and more or less, you know, came to the conclusion that, that it, it wasn't really workable as it as it stood. I think it's fair to say that probably more noise came from this end rather than it did down in Cornwall. But I think the view is that it does affect both ends of the footprint. Whilst that's not particularly prevalent at the moment, we feel that it will become prevalent in the future um, if it stays as it is. And, and that that is not, you know, not for us. Uh, I mean... We believe that the new league is the answer, and that is why we will push very hard to make that happen. But yes, there there is, as we speak, there's still concern facing even next season. We've met with the clubs. We've we've asked for the club's support, to, you know, to get us through next season. We're we're totally conscious now that with the allocations now being published, that everybody's aware of, of what's in front of them. I wouldn't suggest that everybody's going to be particularly happy about it, but. You know, I just refer back to the meetings that we've had and we've asked the clubs to, to support us because we believe that things will change for 23-24 season. Can I just jump in there as well, Ian, and make an additional point from the Cornish end of, of the travelling argument? It's no great surprise that the clubs that have gone up first are the ones with not just the ambition, obviously, but also the, the financial base. Yeah. Uh, and we're certainly prevalent down here that... At the moment, the opportunities have been taken by those clubs who can afford to do the travel. 
there's no problem with them. I've always taken the view with any club's budget that as long as they can they have, can afford what they pay, that's up to them. Uh, I have a, take exception when people pay what they can't afford, but uh, I think we also need to be aware that the opportunities should be there for all clubs. If a team is successful on the pitch, they shouldn't have to be having sort of sponsors and things in the background as to decide whether they should be promoted or not. They should have the same sort of opportunities as, as a club in the middle. And that can only really happen if the step up is affordable. And at the moment, I would say that it's not for all clubs at the moment. There are, you know, luckily, the teams coming up this season, Torpoint and Falmer for well-supported clubs, but it wouldn't be long before a club actually would be faced with travelling who didn't really have the, the, the way with all of those clubs. When you look at what's happened following the restructuring um, in the, uh, to the teams that have joined the Western League from the Southwest Peninsula League, which is you know one of the points you were making there, the likes of Plymouth Parkway and Tavistock, Exmouth, um, the clubs that you've just mentioned, um, Torpoint and Falmouth, um, perceived to be amongst the strongest clubs in, in your competition. So in, in terms of the future of the Southwest Peninsula League, is, is one of the issues around this new configuration about trying to retain the talent that you've got rather than seeing the, the, the league weakened over time as the stronger teams leave? I've got no problem with the stronger teams leaving. And in, you know, we mentioned there Tavistock and Exmouth. I was involved many years ago at Exmouth on the committee about Exmouth born and bred. And I'm very pleased to see them um, you know, now playing Southern League football next season. I think the issue from our point of view is step six in the Southwest was artificially high before these number of clubs moved up. And yes, there has been a weakening of the standards. But on the other hand, that provides opportunities for clubs from below. Um, there weren't an awful lot of, in the allocations list published this week, an awful lot of clubs promoted from step seven to step six. And we, we brought in three, two that have been with us before, Butetown and uh, Tinmouth, but also Mullion. Uh, and I'm still a great believer that even though they may not be as strong as the sides that have left, and that's true in every league, um, you're providing opportunities for those clubs to improve their facilities um, you know, and play in things like the FA Vars. One of the greatest satisfactions for me as a league administrator is, is not necessarily the teams that have gone on and won things. It's the teams that have achieved things to their ground, you know, to, to watch a club play their first ever floodlit game to watch a club play in the FA Vars for the first ever time. These things don't happen unless they join the system and show that ambition. And it's up to us as leagues, whether that's the Western League, the Peninsula League or a new league, to nurture those clubs and develop them. If you if you look at the clubs in relation to the Western League, I think everybody, you know, it's, it's fair to say pretty much as a, as a level that it's, it's achievable depending on, on what aspirations there are within the club. I think that that would never go, you know, that would never go unrecognised um, because from our point of view, they're all there. They are and always will be treated exactly the same as any other club. It's just as Phil says that clubs sometimes with financial resources, will it will allow them to probably you know, progress quicker, easier without being totally reliant on sponsorship within leagues and things like that to you know to to support their being if you like there has to be and will be a recognition that that a lot of these clubs just are quite comfortable at the level that they are and as long as they're they're recognized and achieve better standards 
better facilities, then I think, you know, they'd be quite content to continue as they are. Now, my, my next question, I've got a feeling that both of you are going to want to have a, um, have a say on this one, but I'm going to kick off um, uh, with John, because one of the drivers behind the original restructure by the FA was this idea of creating the, the perfect pyramid. Um, which was very much predicated on the opportunities for promotion and, and clearly the, the ramifications of relegation uh, as well. But even in the original perfect pyramid scheme, it was slightly lopsided um, with two um, step six divisions in the Southwest Peninsula League. This proposal now creates a step five league uh, across Devon and Cornwall. Um, so is actually perfect pyramid becoming more lopsided and is that going to have a knock-on effect with other leagues where we've seen lateral movement from the Western League going into leagues like the Hellenic League? I think there's an element of convenience about some of this, to be quite honest, because when the restructuring process came about, it coincided with obviously the evolving of this new, of this new Thames League. It was abundantly clear that, that that would have to be populated from somewhere. And probably the, you know, the league that was perhaps the most vulnerable uh, at that point in time was the Hellenic League. So inevitably they were they were faced with losing clubs. If you bring that back to our situation, the element of convenience probably brought about the movement of clubs from the Western League to facilitate the clubs coming in from the Southwest Peninsula League. So it all fell into place quite nicely for, for the FA. Going forward, I can clearly say now, and I'm, I'm sure that, Phil would support this fully. Enough is enough now. I would not be under any illusions, and if anybody else is, that a number of the clubs now that have left us to join the Hellenic League, in all probability, would look at the regionalisation going forward and have, you know, perhaps the feel that they would like to be very much a part of that. That is the FA, without a shadow of doubt, would dictate where the footprint begins and ends in relation to Bristol. But it's certainly something that, that we're very conscious of. And, yeah, the future says very much to us that Bristol becomes very much a part of the southwest footprint. Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, I think that the two centres of population for the new league are Bristol and Plymouth. They're the two biggest conurbations. Yeah. Um, and they should be the centres of the two Step 5 leagues. The Step 6 leagues, slightly different boundaries on those. But I want to just pick up on your point you made there, Ian, about an imperfect pyramid. And it was always going to be imperfect because the country isn't in a uniform shape. Um, and down here in the southwest, one of the reasons why we have two Step 6s covering effectively almost one county each is not just the travel, but it's the infrastructure. When you take Axminster, who play in the east of the, the area, and Penzance, who play in the far west of the area, the distance between them is compounded by the fact that there's not a single mile of motorway between the two of them. It's the time it takes to travel. Uh, likewise, you know, in the Western League, we'll see this again now with Barnstable and Ilfracoom. It's, it's a long distance, sorry, it's a long time to get to these places, even if the distances on a roadmap aren't as bad. Because, you know, at Ilfracoom, at Dartmouth, at Penzance, at Axminster, the infrastructure just isn't there as it is elsewhere in the country to get to these places. And my last point on the, the perfect pyramid and how we will make it more perfect, and I don't think you'll ever make it perfect, but if, I think the way of improving it 
is my belief is that you a club progressing should increase its mileage step by step in the same way as it increases its ground standards step by step. So a, a club in Devon or Cornwall at the moment are playing in a two division geographic feeder league. To join step six, they're doubling their mileage. So a Butte, for example, who've just come up from the St. Piran East Division will double their mileage next season because they'll now be traveling further than they were last season. If they were to progress in years to come and play at step five, under the current proposals, they would be quadrupling their mileage because they would have to play your Canesiums, your Weldons and all the rest of it. Under our proposal, they will double their mileage because they will go throughout Devon and Cornwall, you know, Somerset and Dorset, the boundaries are a little bit unclear there because obviously that's a numbers game. But I believe that the proposal allows a club to effectively double its mileage which is to be expected as you move up through the pyramid. But at the moment, you would be, as I say, some clubs will be facing a quadrupling of the mileage. It's been long held the view that, that simply the further south you come, to achieve the perfect pyramid becomes increasingly difficult because to all intents and purposes, there's one way in and one way out, this east and west. There's, there's, no, there's no options as regards to north and south. And Barnstow and Ilford can be a very good case in point. Is, is that whilst you look at the distance involved and you could you could make a case for them being in, in either or, if you look at the road network, and this is perhaps without getting too political about it, where we feel is that we would like more opportunity to have an input when these allocations are done. Because it's all right sitting, you know, sitting some distance away and making these judgments about where clubs go, postcode boys or every other boys, but we're more conscious of what what's involved with regards to the road networks and how difficult it can be. And it is time critical, especially midweeks. Right, Phil, my next question for, for you is how will promotion and relegation work from this new Step 5 division? Right, I think in order to, for the league to, to go to a five-division structure with two regionalised Step 5s, me, myself and John and, and all those that have been involved in this were very clear from the outset that there should be a qualifying season where clubs know at the start of the season what they're likely to need to achieve on and off the pitch. Uh, I think the other guiding principle for us is that whether you play in Western League Division 1, Peninsula East or Peninsula West, you have the same opportunities to gain promotion to Step 5. Um, the other thing to bear in mind, of course, is that we are looking at two divisions of 18 at Step 5. So at the moment, the, the allocations released this week show 20 teams at Step 5. So ignoring the, the, the ins and outs for next season, you're effectively looking for yeah. 16, 16 new clubs <laughs> to add to it. So what I would say is those 16 clubs would roughly come from two directions. The, primarily they will come from the three step six leagues that currently exist and the qualification of those those clubs will be uniform across all three because that's the only fair thing to do and it will be based primarily on the league form and position Nes if necessary points per game where a position is tied but you're certainly you know, you'll be looking at champions first then runners up then thirds that sort of thing um, but also those clubs and this is going to become an issue with populating both five and six, but at step five, we have an advantage, whereas at step six, we have a disadvantage. 
At step five, there are more than enough clubs that have the ground facilities to populate those divisions in full from the start. So any club that's come up that still has work to do or has some sort of issue where they've had dispensations from the FA to, to be at step six but aren't able to fully comply with step five, they'll of course they can perfectly entitled to win the league on the pitch and win games on the pitch, but they wouldn't get promotion without the ground facilities reaching the step five standard. Um, so that's where primarily those extra clubs will come from. The next argument goes to back to your previous question about the relationships with other leagues, and that's more one for John. But my view, uh, and this is just off the cuff, really, but my view, without getting involved in the politics of the Western League and the Hellenic League, is that the clubs themselves will largely dictate. John's hinted quite rightly that clubs that know the Western League and how it runs and the people involved will make a judgment on the restructuring proposal. And they then can decide themselves whether to make an application for a lateral movement. Yet there are Western League clubs in the last year or two who've made application to the FA to move from the Western League to the Hellenic League. There is nothing against, or in fact, the rules are perfectly allow clubs next season to make the opposite application, to move from Hellenic League or any other league into this league. Um, and I think you know any of those clubs have got the, the right to make that application and we would ask the FA to, to look at that when they draw up the boundaries for those new leagues. So then, John, in terms of the administration, I know that's not really the sort of, um, that's not what gets the, the pulses racing when we're talking about um, non-league football, but it is a really important factor. So, I mean, in terms of what the clubs will notice, probably more so than the fans, I mean, how will the administration of one merged league work? We're a long way away from actually deciding exactly how to put this together. I mean, it will become one league with one administrative body. We, or you'd like to think that, that the leagues will recognise that, that they come first, last and everything else, really. And I, I think that everybody's aware now that, that there are going to be rules and regulations that sit around all this. We're tasked with making sure that standards are kept Sponsorship will certainly play a key role in it, uh, and that's that's very much a work in progress at the moment with regards to um, looking at the sponsorship deals available to us and being able to support the clubs in whatever way we can. And that goes back to what Phil said just now, not just in aspiration to be promoted, but in aspiration to improve facility and everything else. I think one of the things that, that again, has perhaps gone by us a little bit is, is the fact that a lot of these clubs in particular down in Cornwall and I don't, I'm identifying Cornwall is probably true across Devon Somerset as well that they're very much part of the communities uh, and a lot of focus you know quite rightly so is in and around their particular football clubs and it's something that we feel strongly that that with financial support, and I think the FA got a part of playing all this with their funding schemes as well, that, that we can get in behind a lot of these clubs. So what would the clubs notice is, is hopefully not major change in terms of the way that leagues are administrated, but certainly the whole package, put, you know, we hope will offer up more than what perhaps is available to the clubs now, bearing in mind we're talking you know, 80 plus 
nearly 90 clubs potentially. I think from my point of view, the important thing is, is it, it will be very difficult to merge two leagues that have their own way of doing things and their own administration at the moment. There's bound to be a conflict of, of characters and how things are run. And I don't, I think my going into it, I think the two important things for me is the end goal should be to keep the best bits of both. Um, so if one league does something in a way that works better than the other league, that's the way to go. If there's actually a better way than either league does it at the moment, that's the way to go. Um, and the other thing, and I'd appraise John on this, is myself and John gave a commitment to each other that we would be here to see the project through, but neither of us, our own egos, will get in the way to the point that, if necessary, for the good of the project, it's about what's delivered rather than about what roles John or myself might have in it or might not have in it. Uh, well, Phil, um, we've talked in this interview so far about a lot of the questions that I've got, but I know that you're committed um, to see to this project because you you feel that it's got a lot of benefits. We, we, we've talked about what I want to talk about. Perhaps now's the time to really let you sort of uh, expand upon some of the benefits for this proposal as you see them. Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, the, the Southwest Peninsula League and before that, the Devon League that I was involved in is traditionally an area that in my lifetime, activity in the upper reaches of the pyramid has gone backwards rather than forwards. You know, I was involved in the, with the Western League club, Hevertry United, in the 80s. Um, and at that time, there were a lot of Western League clubs in, in the Devon area, not so much Cornwall, but Salt Ash, Liscard uh, and Falmouth were. And over the years, a lot of those clubs have gone. And it's important, I think, that for the, the health of football in the Southwest, that instead of going backwards and retreating into our own little communities, that we are forward thinking and open. And I'm really proud of the fact that I've had, for example, Will and Rovers, Plymouth Parkway, Tavistock, Exmouth, all as step seven clubs, not step six, as we're talking about, but as step seven clubs at one point, and they're all now doing really well. So it's important as well that, that we, we allow the next generation of those to go through. And also, over the years, I've been a safety net, and I think our level of football is also a safety net sometimes for clubs who have gone to a certain point and then reached the, the point where that's perhaps not sustainable. And, and I'm, I don't want to cast aspersions on Barnstable Town, but certainly that's one that you know, the Western League will have to look at this season in, in terms of a club coming back down through the pyramid. And they perhaps need support in a different way than a club coming up through the pyramid. Regarding the benefits of this, there are three obvious ones to me. Access to more Football Foundation grant funding for more facilities for more clubs. Uh, and I think we, we didn't really touch on the qualification for step six in the new structure. Uh, and what about, I did hint that we've got an advantage at step five in as much as there are plenty of clubs that will meet the step five standards already within our setup. That may not be strictly true at step six, but then the, that challenge becomes an opportunity as well. The opportunity there is to, to take clubs from the feeder league system and indeed the ones that are currently at step six, with work to do to develop them so that they can can improve their life and lot at step six some other little side benefits that immediately come to mind fa cup entry um certainly step six whichever league you're in has, has gone backwards 
obviously having two step fives will hopefully increase the number of clubs in the FA Cup overall in our area. And without getting into too much of the admin, there's got to be some sort of cost saving uh, and administrative purpose. And I know Richard Pallett from the Western League is, is very much put it in the proposed document that there's a sort of environmentally friendly uh, argument as well for a centralised function rather than two separate functions as we currently have. John, I mean, what do you think the big challenges are going to be for this project success? It's trying to convince, in particular, county FAs that there's no hidden agenda, to convince the, the uh, feeder leagues in particular that our aim is to create movement both up and down. It's about trying to give clubs the opportunity. And let's be fair, not every club's going to be successful. And I think it's sometimes the way that, that I firmly believe that relegation in some cases is not such a bad thing. And I think if you go back and you and you you know, you have a rethink and a, a sort out and come again, you know, Phil alluded to the likes of Barnstable, who knows, maybe that's what will happen there. I think there is going to be a problem as time goes on that, that even at the next level, they might have issues to address in terms of travel and cost and everything else. But at the moment, it's our problem. And the way that we're going about it, um, I believe to be the right way. So then, Phil, where do we go from here? Lots of work. That's where we go from here. Um, I think in the first instance, in the short term, We've had the FA sort of provisional agreement uh, and we're now in this consultation period. Um, we need, the first thing we need is some clarity from the FA about, yes, it's actually happening and the, the start date. And, and at the moment, their wording is at the earliest 23, 24. We need them to actually confirm that. Um, that will all act in two ways. One, it will allow us to, to get on with the work, but also it will focus people's minds into a start date and a start time. Um, and then there is a lot of work to be done to, to amalgamate two existing competitions, um, both administratively and the clubs in it as well. And, I, and I'm, I'm pleased that we've already made some little tentative things there. I was invited to, to some of the meetings that the Western League held with the FA, uh, with their clubs. Uh, I think next season it will be nice for me to attend some Western League games and for John and other people involved in the Western League to, to attend some Peninsula League games when the opportunity arises so that we can start to foster the relationship of being one group of clubs rather than two separate clubs. Because whatever little arguments there might be about, you know, the fine for this offence should be this or that, the reality is we need a happy ship of 80 or 90 clubs that are working in the same general direction. I'm a great believer that football at our level should be about cooperation and friendship off the pitch and leave them to kick each other on the pitch. And my thanks to John and Phil uh, for their time, and I'm sure that we will be hearing plenty more um, about Project Southwest, plenty more from John and Phil, most importantly, um, uh, coming together as next season progresses and, um, and that project um, starts to take more shape. If you're thinking, Tool Station, I know they'll save me money, but do they have all the top brands? You know, DeWalt, Makita, Einhell, Stanley, Myra, Kudox, Nest and Santex. Yeah, they do. Over 15,000 trade quality products in the range from the leading brands with prices that are hard to beat. If you want a helping hand to save on your next job, try Toolstation. Hard to face.
With over 300 branches, there's always a tool station near you. But we will move on to the climax of the Tool Station Western League season. It's wonderful to be talking about the Les Phillips Cup final. I was fortunate enough to be there with um, my old uh, mate, Ray Johnson. We did a, a commentary um, on the Match Day Live platform. So I know what happened, Tom. But just <laughs> in case anybody um, listening to this wasn't able to catch up with the action, um, how did the game pan out? It went to uh, it went Bridgewater's way, didn't it? Uh, a 1-0 win uh, for them uh, against Cabra Heath, who's had a, a remarkable run to, to reach the final. Obviously, they've not had the uh, the greatest of seasons in, in the league, finishing well pretty close to the bottom. I think they were 15th or so. Um, so for them to reach the cup final is a, a fantastic, fantastic achievement for them. And uh, yeah, they just certainly certainly gave their all on finals, there, didn't they? Uh, just just the one goal that split them, and it be, it came from a man who. I think since I've been um, since I've been writing the bulletin and whatnot, he always seems to score most weekends. To be honest, it's a name that's um, yeah always in the in the on the scorers charts that I put up and whatnot. And um, yeah, it was Jack Taylor. Uh, he's been at Bridgewater for a while now. You couldn't have scripted it better for him and, and for the club for, for for them to to win the final in this way. Uh, a one 0 victory. Uh, 58th minute, I think the, the the goal came, and it was a close range header. Uh, put them ahead, and uh, yeah, the Heath. Uh, a couple of couple of close close chances uh, in the final half hour or so, but they're unable to to break through. And it's Bridgewater who, yeah, took home the trophy and ended their season on a, on a massive high. They certainly did. It was a sweltering hot day there, so mm-hmm. I mean, it was um, it was a challenging day um, to play football, but an intriguing encounter. And I think, as Tom, you, you know, you quite rightly point out, the fact that it was so close, certainly the score was so close, meant that um, you know there was sort of tension and jeopardy um, all the way all the way through the game. No more so than actually with the goal, um, because um, in commentary, I mean, I, I certainly saw the, the linesman um, gesture. And at the time, because I'm uneducated, I had absolutely no idea what it meant and thought that he was calling for an offside. Ray, um, who, of course, was doing the the analysis, um, was um, was I think it would be fair to say he was slightly dubious that the ball had crossed the line. But. Um, we were uh, fortunate to have the the expert eye of Dave Brammer. Uh, now, Dave Brammer, of course, is a is a director of the Tool Station Western League. He's our finance officer. But what you might not know about Dave is that he was one of the original group of Premier League assistant referees when the Premier League was first created in 1992. He is also an FA referee coach and an FA observer. And Dave joined us in the commentary box to give us his expert analysis on what happened when that goal went in. I doubt that anybody knew if the ball was over the line or not, except for the assistant referee, who was ideally positioned on the corner flag to view the flight of the ball. As soon as the ball banks down and out, he raised his flag and held his position on the goal line so that when the referee's whistle blew, everybody could look at him, see he was ideally placed, and that he could award the goal. And I'm sure that's why there was a lot less argument between the players and the match officials, because he executed the procedure so well. And I'm very grateful um, for Dave uh, for his time and his analysis. And I think actually plenty of other media outlets could benefit from having the learned eye of one of our match officials just um, helping us um, take some of the uh, emotion out of some of these decisions and just providing um, the cool 
head of reason. Um, I know Dave is a massive supporter of the work uh, that we do with um, with uh, Ref Support. He's very supportive of that particular charity. And I thought, uh, what an excellent innovation for the Tool Station Western League to actually include the voice of the match official in our match day commentary. So I'm, I'm very pleased that we were able to do that. And I hope you enjoyed Dave's um, contribution there. But the person that I'm sure you're really interested in hearing from is Adam Murray, of course, the owner and CEO of Bridgewater United. Um, it was fantastic to get the chance um, um, to speak to Adam and I'd like to thank um, Bob Buckingham um, for arranging the interview uh, with him and um, I started my conversation with Adam by congratulating him on winning this year's Les Phillips Cup final. Yeah, very proud of the man, very proud of the gaffer. Uh, I know they worked hard. It was, uh, it was something that we wanted to win. Um, you know, we've talked about it considering what happened last season as well. So, um, you know, we weren't going to let the same mistake happen again. So, um, but no, it's, it's a fantastic achievement. Uh, good season all round, really. Um, and we go again next season. I mean, it, it wasn't a day for flowing football because the weather was pretty, um, it was pretty hot at Wells on, uh, on Saturday. But I did think that, you know, over the 90 minutes, Bridgewater were the better side. But that's not to say that Cadbury Heath didn't give you a stern test on the day. No, I mean, I think we dominated first half. Um, I think, um, I mean, it, it, it was it was very hot that day anyway. But no, I mean, you know, Cabri Heath held in there. Um, you know, they had a, we had a few moments where we were, you know, it could have gone the other way. But um, no, I was confident right the way through. It was one of those games where I was confident that um, the men were going to do their job. And, um, and, and we did. So uh, I can't say anything better than that, really. Now, obviously, it's a fantastic way to finish the season. But when you look back on on the sort of the body of work um, this season, um, fifth in the in the Western League Premier Division, I mean, you know, how do you rate this season? I think I'll sort of reiterate what the gaffer was saying that it's disappointing that we drop points against uh, games that we shouldn't have. But I mean, that's football for you. Um, it's frustrating, but um, I think it sets us up this year. Um, my full season in charge is is has been um, a season where we wanted to get the fundamentals in place, the philosophy in place, the club on stable footings, with a whole unity amongst the whole club, uh, academies, women's team, men's team, community sports trust, um, and it was a there was a lot of transitions in place, a lot of things to put in place to make this club fundamentally strong going into seasons where we want to compete for promotion, and I think. Uh, from my past experience, it's important that those fundamentals are in place in order for you to then build um, a successful club um, that can gain promotion confidently, you know, season after season. And uh, I think predominantly that was that was my, certainly my main focus. Um, and you know, the results that the Gaffer achieved in the men, and, and obviously we were we had, you know, I'm not making any excuses, but we did have a lot of injuries. Um, latter part of the season um it was a tough season um with the with the amount of games that we were playing um and the travel um but i'm I'm extremely happy with uh uh, top five but next season you know our focus our aim is to get promoted and push on um and that's that's predominantly we are all on the same page i think the club is set up now to do that um and again it's not all about money but it's it's the unity within the club how how you treat players, staff, and having the right team around you to be able to do 
you know what we want to do, which is uh, ultimately get promoted, move up the leagues. I mean, you mentioned the comments of Dave Pierce in uh, in the recent interview I, I did with him. The, the other comment sort of he made was that he he thought that you were a bit too reliant, or the side was had become a bit too reliant on the goals of Jack Taylor. Unfortunately for Bridgewater United fans, Erling Haaland has now been snapped up. Um, but can we expect some more incoming transfers over the close season? I mean, we're certainly looking at that. I mean, that's down to the gap. We're, we're talking about it and we have identified a number of players that we're looking at. Your pre-season will determine uh, on both, across the whole club, um, where that goes and, and who we bring on. Um, but uh, we are actively talking to people now. Um, I'll let the gaffer reiterate that once he's... Uh, made his uh, his decisions but um, no we are actively looking and but you know we do recognize that and uh you know it's one of the things that we uh we have identified right the way through the season that 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 needs to be strengthened and it's certainly something we're looking at for sure i mean it was very eye-catching when you personally got involved um, with bridgewater united uh but it was it's obviously looking back on the last few years it's been a strange time because we've had the pandemic we've had the the seasons lost um, to the null and void. We've also had the restructuring of the FA. So does it feel from your perspective, is this what you signed up for or has it even tested a man with your wealth of experience in football? It has been an up and down journey, but it has been for all of us, you know, for, for every football club, um, you know, and it's, it, again, to be fair, it's, it's given us all, all, all the, the management staff time for us to sit down and uh, look at what, what needs to be done and um, going forward, it's given us a little bit of time to be fair on, on, on getting the club on, um, you know, stable footings um, right across the club, as I'm talking about, because it is not just the men's now. It's a very big, large club uh, with academy players um, right the way through to U10s, the women's first team. So it's, you know, there's a lot of work. I mean, you know, I put in a good 60 hours a week, travel two and a half to 3,000 miles a month. Um, and, um, but this first season in charge gave me the insight into where we could possibly take this football club and the backing that we have from all the support we have now from the community, which is is growing day by day. Um, and um, the, the community sports trust, which is engaging the community, it's grown exponentially over the past season, uh, season and a half. It's, it's very pleasing to see something that's coming into fruition on, on the work. And it, 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 it did give us time to, to put all those processes in place to be able to build what we're going to try and achieve. And, you know, I want to try and take, I got involved with Bridgewater. It reminds me a little bit about the early days of Bournemouth in the sense of um, we had to get the club the, the right, the personnel right, the team right, the structure right, uh, the fundamentals right. And, and, and I believe fully now that we have that and we have the, the um, unity within the club, which is needed to push forward. Uh, everybody's on the same page. And I think next season is going to be a, a telling season and uh, a very exciting season because of what we're implementing and putting in place to be able to uh, proceed up the leagues. I, I, I'm not here to stay in the Western Prem. I'm, I'm, I'm here to progress right the way up as far as I can. I, I gave myself a seven-year a seven-year deal here um, to try and push the clubs as far as I can. I'd like to get it to a, a national level uh, if I can. Um, and again, with the women's, uh, I'd like to get that into the Super League, um, which uh, again is very achievable. So uh, a lot of things have been implemented, physical development programs through pre-season um, and dietitians, uh, strength and conditioning coaches coming in. Um, and we've got um, high-level coaches coming in to assist the management of uh, the first teams. 
So it is going to be an exciting year in in in, in respect of the seasons, and um, you know we're, we're looking at it very positively and very seriously. That, that does sound incredibly serious. And one of the things that I really uh, I really it fascinates me about about the about the Western League, we're sort of at a crossroads with many clubs, with clubs that have been involved in the league for many years, have got a very rich history, very rich history in their communities, and we've seen clubs in recent seasons like Plymouth Parkway, for example, and and, and Melksham Town, who've been able to develop their facilities and have started that journey up the league. And that sounds like the journey that that you're talking about. I mean, from from your perspective, you obviously must have appreciated that getting involved in with Bridgewater was going to be different to getting involved with Bournemouth, particularly where where you left Bournemouth, you know, which is one of the great fairy tales in English football. But, I mean, has it been challenging for you personally? Have there been things that you wanted to do and you've been frustrated that you can't? Or actually, have you been surprised? Have you been surprised at the attitude and the infrastructure that exists at Step 5 and how, how close that marries your previous experience with Bournemouth? I, I couldn't want for a better team I've got now. I couldn't want for a better team. And I truly believe the team that we've got in place now right across the whole club is... Uh, the team to take it forward. Certainly everybody's very excited about that. You know, that um, the gaffer's gone above and beyond. Um, and, um, you know, tr I truly believe that he is the man to do the job. Um, and I've, I've said that in previous uh, statements a long time ago. And, um, you know, it, for me, it's going to be exciting to see where this, this uh, journey takes him and, and all my other um, members of staff um, to, you know, and that's what's exciting about it. It's the journey. And um, I've done this before a couple of times and uh, it is refreshing in the sense that to me, Bridgewater, uh, it was almost like a, a blank canvas in the sense of, you know, getting the finances straight. It was in a little bit of trouble, um, which is all done now and um, moving forward. But it's almost like a blank canvas by introducing the community sports trust, which is really important to me in the community. Uh, if we don't have a football club that engages heavily in the community and benefits the community then to me you know we're just a normal ordinary football club and that, that's not what I want I want to engage in the town engage with the communities um, work with anti-social behavior work with the police work with all the other organizations and bring fans in from from all over to participate and enjoy the football club and enjoy that journey going forward and that to me is the special moments and um you know I think all the men have bought into it the women have bought into it the management have bought into it and and we we, we are you know, we're seeing success from that already. Um, but next season, now we, we will go again seriously and we are taking it very seriously. You know, it, it is refreshing in the sense that the, the support that we get from the council, the, the uh, district council and, the, and the, the town council, I know they're in transition at the moment, so I'll better be careful what I say and what I name, but uh, we've had tremendous support from the councils in relation to expanding our facilities, building further facilities to enhance the programs, not just for us, but for the community as a, as a shared group. So if that all comes into fruition, I think in the next two seasons, um, Bridgewater United Football Club will have a fantastic facilities. It'll have a fantastic um, uh, program going through for, for the young children, both boys and girls, uh, right the way through to the first team and the successes that we're having from our under 18s transitioning into the first teams now, which is really important. Um, is coming into fruition as well. And Mo Hopkins is doing a great job at the college, uh, bringing those players through. Um, and uh, Mike Murphy, obviously, who, uh, who did a fantastic save in the, uh, the semi-finals. Uh, you know, one of our um, aspiring under-18s players uh, all coming through. So that, to me, is the success. And I love watching that and, and, and how, how the club develops. And, you know, it, at the end of the day, football is all about winning. Um, and, you know, you've got to win games uh, to increase crowds. And um, that's obviously where the majority of your income comes in. 
but at the same time, you can, um, if you get that unity right, you know, and 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 the the, the psychology running through the the the, the, the teams, um, you will reap the success that you want. And uh, I've seen it before many times, so that's exciting to me, and that's what we're looking forward to next season and implementing everything now. Uh, it's the next step for us now. It's, it's stage two of the plan that we want to uh, implement now going forward in this uh, promotion push all the way through. Obviously, you're very ambitious and you've talked about promotion a number of times. But of course, um, um, there are going to be other clubs in the Western League that aren't going to make that easy for you. Oh. you know, Mausel have done very well in their first season. Saltash as well. I think Helston, we're all expecting them to go again. And of course, we've got new teams coming into the league like Falmouth, who are very well supported and, and Tor Point, of course, coming up from the from the Peninsula League. So, I mean, I mean, what are your thoughts on the sort of the standard of opposition that you're coming up against? I, I wouldn't want it any other way, and to be fair, because um, it tests us. I think we've learned a lot of lessons um, this season, um, and um, you know, from that we we can we we we've built what we need to build going forward. Uh, we we need to focus solely on uh, our game, our philosophy, the way of play, the way we want to play, um, and that's what we're focusing on. And you know, competition is 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 you know what's needed, and, and you know, I welcome any high level competition teams coming into this league or are in this league. Um, because it makes it that much more exciting. But we need to focus solely on what we've got to do, how we develop, how we deliver our game, uh, the philosophy, and embed that within the team going forward. Um, and that will, that will bring us the success that we want. And that's what we're intending to do. If for any reason your ambitions are derailed next season, you might be playing in a very different um, Western League uh, in 23-24. Uh, in, in fact, it probably won't even be called the Western League uh, if the plans to merge the Toolstation Western League and the Southwest Peninsula League um, are going to uh, take place. I mean, what do you make of that proposal? Well, I think it's based around the distance and travel for clubs. And I know a lot of clubs suffer from the, uh, from the travel and the expense of the travel. And... Um, you know, there are a lot of clubs out there that, you know, aren't financially sound um, and, um, you know, survive game by game. And, um, you know, I could completely relate to that. So I think with the support and the distance, it does help. Um, it does help football clubs um, in relation to that huge travel expense. If it makes sense, which I think it does, I think it makes sense to to try and lower the distances of the travel, not, not just for the, for the club, but for the players also. Um, I, I think it can only be a good thing. But like I said to you on the phone yesterday, hopefully that doesn't involve us. <laughs> now, one final um, question uh, for you. It's not really a question, actually. Um, on the Toolstation Western League podcast, we've been very lucky over the last few seasons to um, have great access to your manager, Dave Pierce. He's always uh, always picks up the phone straight away, which is something that I really appreciate. Yeah. Um, and you've praised him in in this in this interview. But actually, there's another person who's always been incredibly supportive of both myself and and the league, and that's your your chairman, Bob Buckingham. Uh, he's an incredibly popular figure across the Tool Station Western League. How important has he been to you uh, in your uh, in your time with the club? When I first met Bob, um, and, and, and I, I, I'm always like to think that I'm good with uh, first impressions, and uh, absolutely 100%. If it wasn't for Bob, I wouldn't be here now. Absolutely 100%. You know, he's uh, he's a fantastic man. Um, love speaking to him. We speak on pretty much a daily basis. Uh, the same with the gaffer. Um, you know. But both men are, um, you know, I'm very lucky to have those two. Um, you know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm excited for the gaffer because, um, you know, he's bought into everything that um, we've discussed. That, that's one thing that's important. And um, Bob, 
Bob is a man that you know you have confidence around him, and uh, he, you know, if, if there's if there's dark days um, for myself, I, I always get on the phone to Bob, and he brings me back out of it. And so it's vital that um, you have those people around you. And uh, again, one hundred percent. If it wasn't for Mr. Bob Buckingham, I certainly would not be here today. One hundred percent, I would not be here. Nothing felt better than for me to be able to turn around and say. And, and 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 show the opportunities that and, and the progress that the club's making and to be able to put that Les Phillips Cup in his hand because I think the last time we won a cup was 2005. Um, and this season across the whole club, um, we've won six trophies, um, which hasn't been done before at Bridgewater. So it's been a, incredibly, and Bob's part of all of that. He's not just part of the men's, he's part of the whole club. Um, and um, so, you know, that that's very gratifying for me to be able to, 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 to present those things to Bob. And I know he's been in it and he's works hard and... Uh, it's great for me to be able to to show the progress and um you know the confidence he had in me is is is, is working and that's that's very satisfying and uh, i'm very lucky to have all of my staff that i have around me now all of them i'm very lucky to have and my thanks to adam for his time now just before we leave the les phillips cup final i have one other um piece of information to uh, to bring the listeners uh it was uh, last week was uh, Mental Health Awareness Week, you should, which you may have seen. And of course, the Tool Station West End League have been doing a lot with Bath Mind um, to promote um, positive um, mental health, particularly amongst our players. And that's where the idea for the changing room posters um, came from. And of course, we've been doing bucket collections as well to help um, raise funds for Bath Mind. Well, with the Les Phillips Cup final in Wells, we had the fantastic opportunity of launching a new partnership, this time with Mind in Somerset. They've produced some um, excellent posters for us as well, so we were able to give those to Wells City. They'll be using those next season, and you'll be hearing plenty more about this as we travel around Somerset, making sure um, that those clubs have got those posters. And actually, of course, going beyond Somerset, we've already started conversations uh, with um, with Wiltshire Mind, and uh, we will be looking at all of the Mind groups across the entire Tall Station Western League footprint. But I am really pleased to say that fundraisers Sarah Warren and Anne-Marie Russ joined us at the Les Phillips Cup final and they did a bucket collection and that collection raised £229.20. So thank you to the generosity of the supporters who attended the Les Phillips Cup final. Mind in Somerset are absolutely tickled pink. I'm absolutely tickled pink, of course, as are the league, because it's a great new partnership for us and um, doing a lot of good work talking about a really important issue. Um, so that's a really positive way um, to finish talking about our footballing season. But of course, the thing that really gets the old blood pumping, Tom, is the goal scorers. I know mm -hmm. that's the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning. So <laughs> can you tell us, finally, for the last time this season, who were our hot shots? in the tool station western league absolutely love a love a good goal scoring stat don't we so um yeah this is going by the fa full-time website so hopefully it's all all up to date now the season's finished etc etc uh so in it we'll go league league matters first uh you've got liam print of uh tavistock he was the only man to crack 30 in in the prem he got 35 league goals this season so he takes the uh golden boot in the prem you've got jack taylor of bridgewater obviously he got 29 that seems to be a Regular occurrence for him getting up in, in, in the top, among the top few in the Prem. Uh, and he was at it again. Uh, you then had Jordan Harris of Exmouth uh, with 27. Uh, Will Hailston of Canesham with 23. Uh, Dean Griffiths of Bitten got 21. And Sam Hughes of Saltash got 20. So those are the those are the uh, six blokes who uh, beat 20, 20 goals in the Prem. Uh, then down into the first, uh, you've got Luke Bryan of Odd Down. He pretty much led the way from 
from the start of the season and, and held on to, to, to claim top spot. He had 37 league goals uh, for the Bath side this year. Uh, Adam Wright made a, a right surge over the, the second half of the season for Wales. He got 33 goals. Uh, Oakland Buck of Bishop Sutton, plenty of hat-tricks for him. Uh, he ended with eight, uh, 28 uh, league goals. Uh, he then had Alex Murphy of uh, uh, champion Sherbourne, got 24. Uh, Connor Williams of Wincanton, who got 22. And Toby Cole, who spent some of the season at Wincanton before moving to Welton, he finished with 21 league goals. And then if you include cup competitions, uh, Prin of Tavistock, he was the only person to, to, to break into the 40s. He got 41. Uh, Taylor, uh, obviously finishing the season on a high. That was his 39th goal of the, the campaign, I believe. Uh, put him one ahead of Brian, who finished on 38. Uh, he then had Hale, Will Halston of Canesham, who we've already mentioned, he got 35 goals in all comps. Uh, Wright of Wales, 33. Uh, and then Harris and Buck, who we both mentioned in uh, uh, in their, their league uh, form as well. So, yeah, plenty of goals flying in, and those were, those were the hot shots this season. Nothing more important, of course, than the golden boot winners. Mm. And um, this is an area that we have been getting um, some feedback. I mean, I think it would be fair to say, Tom, that you know normally we get feedback over the years we've been doing the podcast uh, and you've been doing the bulletin where where the listeners think we we you know we, we we might have got it wrong. The information, as you said at the beginning of that piece, comes from FA full time, doesn't it? So it is actually input by the clubs and, and, and we're doing our best to sort of interpret it, aren't we? That's absolutely right. Yeah, I do, I, as I say, do my best to, to keep up to date with it. And uh, yeah, a couple of uh, communications through the season, just sort of with, with people updating me on, on things that were either incorrect or needed updating, as I say. So yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, the, the facts we'll give out are, are correct. But yeah, those are the, uh, as, as, as far as I believe, those are the, uh, the top scorers this season. Well, we, we are very interested in listening to anybody who's got any sort of alternative mm, information oh, yeah. on that. <laughs> and and I've spent a bit of time myself um, this season talking um, to Andy Radford, our general secretary. And actually, I would like to thank um, um, Gareth Paisley, the secretary of, of Welton Rovers, who has been very, very helpful in helping us sort of understand some of the issues that clubs might be having with entering the data mm. and how that might be manifesting itself with some um, sort of irregular returns, should we say. But um, anyway, you can't get anything better than a goal scorer. And if there are any issues, then please let us know now, because we really want to present the right people with the golden boots uh, at the uh, at the convention that's coming up shortly. Now, that's the leading goal scorers. And really, I suppose that's our last act of the 2021-22 season. But we have got the allocations for the 2022-23 season. Tom, do you want to run us through the uh, the Western League Premier Division that will be next season and um, and just highlight perhaps some of the new clubs coming in? Yeah, sure. So we've got a couple of couple of champion sides joining us. Obviously, uh, from the Southwest Peninsula West, we've got Falmouth. Uh, they won 30 games this season, drew, drew one and had one defeat. So they played 32, won 30 of those, uh, scoring 124 goals. So they'll come up a pretty confident side. Uh, you've then got Torpoint, who were champions <coughs> of the uh, Southwest Peninsula East. Uh, they scored 150 goals from their 38 league games, uh, securing 100 points in the process. So those two sides... Uh, join a, a well, an excellent-looking uh, Premier Division. Interestingly enough, they met in the Champions Bowl clash on on Saturday at the same time as the Les Phillips Cup, uh, and Falmouth came out on top 4-2 in that one. So, as I say, a couple of couple of sides who certainly will come out with a bit with a bit of confidence. Uh, Ashton and Backwell received a reprieve, so they remain in the Prem. Uh, and then obviously you've got Sherbourne and Welton who were promoted, and also Barnstable join after being relegated from the Southern League Division One. 
so we are left with 20 sides in the Prem, which is great. Obviously, uh, less, less teams uh, on, on a buy or whatever. So that's, um, yeah, that's, that's looking good. Uh, and then in, in first, a couple of, couple of new sides, uh, well, returning. Uh, we've got Hallen. Uh, they returned to the first division after uh, at least one season away. I can't, can't, can't recall if it's one or two, but um, yeah, they returned to, to the Western League. Uh, Brisington took voluntary relegation, as we know, so they're down into the first. Uh, and Bishops Lydia received uh, a reprieve as well, so they are remaining in the, the first division. Uh, we've then got a couple of new sides uh, in Shirehampton and uh, Nailsy and Tickenham, uh, a couple of uh, yeah new destinations, uh, I'm sure for for some of our sides. So and that leaves that with 22 teams in the in the first as well. So um, it's good to have uh, even numbers. I think that's one of the first things I sort of look for. It's a bit of I don't know if that's a bit, bit quirky or whatnot, but uh, yeah. As I say, I think that's it's not 100% confirmed, but those are those that's what we're looking at for next season. And that information is on the website if you want the full lists, uh, and also in the bulletin as you say. So uh, yeah, that's uh, something to look forward to for next year. Now, it's not quirky at all, Tom, because, <laughs> of course, as our clubs found out last season with 19 and 21 in each division, when you've got mm. an odd number, that means you yeah. have a team that has a that has a weekend off um, or a match day off, um, which can be a which can be a help. Um, but equally, it can be uh, a hindrance. And I think oh, the biggest hindrance uh, is when those games, of course, we look at the Boxing Day games and we look at the Easter Bank holiday games, those really big ticket games where clubs can make a lot of money. It does mean that somebody has to has to miss out. So as long as the numbers stay as they are, it looks like we'll all be in action, hopefully, weather permitting at uh, at the same at the same time. And of course, the eagle eyed of you out there will have noticed that my team devises no longer appear to be in the Western League. <laughs> so I think this is my opportunity for next season to wish you come and get me, please. <laughs> anyway, we won't, we, won't, we won't dwell on that. We won't dwell on that. Tom, thank you ever so much, not just um, for your time this week, but your time throughout uh, the season. Um, the bulletin, you know, is a staple piece of information that's produced, um, not just obviously... We wouldn't be able to do this podcast without it. But I know that there are you know, many people across the league who really appreciate the facts and figures um, that you compile. Um, n- normally, I say, where can the listeners find it? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to tell you. You can find it on the website. You can go and look hey. yourself. I think on behalf of everybody, we need to say thank you very much for the work that you do. Um, it, you turn it around incredibly quickly, which means that we're getting information within hours of, of, of our games every weekend and, and that really enables people to sort of really it keeps the it keeps it relevant it keeps it vibrant and it's um it's a wonderful feature of the league and I know that it's something that other leagues envy so you should be rightly proud of the work that you do absolute pleasure and uh, yeah I think um obviously at this time of the season a big thank you to yourself as well um this this podcast wouldn't be wouldn't be anything without you and all the hard work is pretty much done at your end so uh, I just put put the numbers together and whatnot, but you are the yeah the other driving force behind it. The interviews are uh, well exclusively down to you. So yeah, from my from my end, and I'm sure that, well pretty much everyone that tunes in, yeah, thank you ever so much for for all you do for yeah getting this uh, getting this on the on the road every week. Well, I I didn't mind praising you, but, but <laughs> you praising me makes me feel slightly nauseous to be perfectly oh, honest with you no, you deserve, the it. Good you deserve thing, it well that's very kind of you to say but actually if we didn't have our teams and the volunteers mm. and the fans that support them and the players and the managers then we wouldn't have anything to talk about and the match officials i have to say absolutely um 
there's a lot of people, Jim, James Healy, you know, included the, the board of the Western League. You know, you heard from John Paul today. Andy Radford has been a huge support to me. Colin Goodland, Dave Brammer, um, George McCaffrey, um, Sue Merrill. So many people who make such a, a massive contribution um, to the Western League. So many people that, you know, many of the listeners to this won't, um, won't have met, let alone uh, know what they um, what they're doing uh, on behalf of the league. So, so you know, we are a family, which is one of the reasons why we really enjoy doing this. One of the exciting things about Project Southwest is that family looks like it's going to get bigger. And actually, Tom, um, the fact that you're able to talk to us about the uh, the Champions Cup from mm. the um, um, from the Peninsula League means that that project is already starting. We welcome Falmouth, we welcome Torpoint, we welcome Shire Hampton, we welcome Nailsey and Tickenham because you're going to be hearing from those new sides on next season's Toolstation Western League podcast. <laughs>